This podcast covers all things health, your body, your brain, and your well-being. Each week, we'll be joined by doctors, as well as the occasional guest, to talk about the health topics that mean the most to you. Um, For those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, we're uh, kind of a team. We practice practice functional medicine aspects of, of both the metabolism of the body as well as the brain and the nervous system in our quest to continue to help figure out better and better ways to take care of um, chronic problems, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, peripheral neuropathy, restless leg, a bunch of things like that, okay? And what we're doing here is usually kind of like almost like a chat of some of the things that we talk about relative to developing different processes and what we find works and what we find doesn't work. This is a very complex situation trying to deal with these types of cases and over a period of time we have developed protocols that have been proven to be pretty successful. Relative to today's topic, uh, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, um, gluten has been a, uh, a big player, probably the only consistent player in our dietary recommendations over the period of time that we've been doing this, which has been for quite a while maybe six or seven years that these, this particular protocol that we've been putting together uh, has, been, has been evolving. And probably the only consistent aspect of that protocol from now to when we started is we still take all of our autoimmune patients and chronic pain patients off of gluten with varying symptomatic uh, responses. Lately, there seems to be a, uh, a, a, the gluten was very controversial when we started. When we started, when I started, I can tell you, nobody knew what gluten was. The doctor said it was crazy. Celiac, which is, a, which is an autoimmune problem, which the trigger is gluten, was still even at that point in time considered not a, um, a very uh, solid diagnosis, mainly because the testing for it was, and still is, by the way, mostly pretty poor. Uh, at least in that in the medical model, and uh, and so we already went we've already gone through this like ooh you're crazy about the gluten thing and so on and so forth, and over the last five or six years I kind of thought that was being put to rest. Unfortunately, we have a lot of controversy. Even more recently than that, there was an article in Forbes magazine, which seems to have raised the bar on attacking gluten. Um, and we like to correct some of the inconsistencies in how that was reported, why it was reported the way it was reported, and made it seem as though they did a study that showed whether people ate gluten or not, a double-blind study, they didn't know what they were feeling one way or the other, which is not an accurate depiction of the study. Dr. Gates has thoroughly reviewed the study, um, the timeline of the study, um, things that were maybe not emphasized in the study that should have been emphasized in the study if you were trying to report this in a fair and you know fashion. And so, um, so that's what we're going to talk about today because there's a lot of you out there who may have been ex- exposed to one of these issues, one of these, the Forbes thing that ended up on ABC News and NBC News and and all these different papers and. And, uh, and you may now be, again, confused. Should I be eating gluten? Should I not be eating gluten? Is this just a fad? It's not a fad. I, it's a fad to the degree that, you know, now it's, now you got all the gluten, all the gluten marketing out there and you got all the gluten-free products, which, by the way, most of them are kind of crap on top of it. Um, but, uh, 
but we need to we need to sort this out. This is an important subject, and uh, and we've talked a ton about gluten before in our other hangouts, in our other broadcasts. But we just feel that at this time it's important to hit it again. So we're going to be and after this we're going to be doing a couple of snippets on gluten and depression, on gluten gluten and irritable bowel syndrome, on gluten and fibromyalgia. We're going to be doing a couple of five eight. 10-minute snippets on that so that we can get those online for you too. So you can look for those. So let's talk about non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Basically, it means that here's the accepted world. The accepted world is, uh, and I mean, I've heard radio show talk hosts go over this and all kinds of crazy stuff. If you don't have celiac, there's no reason to uh, avoid gluten. Not true. Not even close to being true. All right. Celiac is a disease where the inside of your gut is damaged by your immune system, and it is the it's called an autoimmune problem, and it's the only autoimmune problem to date which has an acknowledged trigger, and the trigger is exposure to gluten, which is, I'll let Dr. Gates explain how it's part of the wheat protein and all that. Um, so everybody is clinging to that. We should talk about how poorly that is diagnosed and so on and so forth on top of it. But now, we have talked for years in this office and in other offices similar to ours in which you cannot wait to be diagnosed with it because the diagnostic testing is poor. Over the years, we have noticed that if a person gets off gluten and maybe other cross sensitivities, which Dr. Gates I'm sure will talk about, if a person gets off of gluten and they feel better, end of story. I don't care if it's psychosomatic, frankly. Then that means your brain is working pretty good. But psychosomatic means, oh, it's in your head. You just think you feel better. Fine. I don't care because that means your brain is working and making you feel better. But the reality is it's not psychosomatic. If you eat gluten, you bloat up. You don't eat it. You don't bloat up. End the story. That is probably the most diagnostic tool that we have out there. And we have used that tool with great success. There's tons of symptoms of gluten. If you have all the symptoms of gluten and the testing's not good, then you're, you're going to want to know that you're going to want to stay off of gluten. And I may be stealing some of Dr. Gates' presentation here because Dr. Gates was the one who wanted to go forward with this based on everything that's happening this week. Thought it was a timely subject. I don't disagree with him. It is a, it is a key part of many parts to our protocols, but it is a key part. If we can get, if we have like 20 different parts to our protocol that we have to assess, on each person and put a puzzle together for them to get better. The one consistent part that has to be implemented is that person has to get off of gluten. If they do everything else we tell them and they will not get off of gluten, our cases will fail. Mm -hmm. Or they You're certainly right. will. They'll feel better, but You're they right. won't fail anywhere yep. near We have observed that. As, I mean, this is what we do for true. a living. So so we, we observe it. We observe, well, not as much as we used to observe it. When a lot of our patients said, no, I'm not going to get off of that. Oh, I was on it, and I ate it again, and I, my, my stomach didn't hurt. Yeah, I'm, you know, I got headaches and dizziness. My migraines came back, but my stomach didn't hurt. <laughs> We're going to recover all of that. So non-celiac gluten sensitivity means you have not been diagnosed with celiac, but yet you're sensitive to gluten. It has been acknowledged in the literature, but this Forbes magazine article has now even brought that into question. Right. I am right. now... Think I have set okay. the stage. So why don't we start there? There's so many areas we can go into. I, we could do hours on this. And we I was, could do we could do 25 hours.
hours on this. I'm not joking. This is where I spent the brunt of my weekend, aside yeah. from Sunday. Yeah, so, um, so we're going to try to distill it down to 45 minutes to an hour, and then a few little a few little snippets that maybe will be valuable for those of you who have depression, irritable bowel syndrome, or fibromyalgia. So basically, relative to the study in question that was reported in Forbes, Forbes, and many other mainstream news uh, sources, they basically came out and said the gentleman who discovered non-celiac gluten sensitivity, his name is Peter Gibson, uh, who discovered this whole entity, came out and said it doesn't exist. And there was a lot of uproar, there was a lot of emotion on both sides of the debate, so to speak. And in the news reporting of the study, basically he said, what we did is we took patients who reported that they had non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and we'd either have them eat a diet rich in gluten, a diet mixed of gluten and whey protein. Whey protein is a protein from milk and cheese, and then, or just whey protein by itself. And what they concluded out of the study and what was reported in the media is that the patients who ate gluten did not feel any worse when they didn't know what they were eating. And so, again, this has created a lot of stir. And, 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 and that is a seriously flawed study. Well, that's what I'm going to go into. Okay. I'm going to go into that. I'm just so saying, I'm just, just, just going to throw that one out right now. I mean, I mean, we've all who have gone through medical school or chiropractic college or functional, we've all worked in labs and understand how you're supposed to control variables here. Dr. Gates will probably get into that. So what was not commonly reported was that patients, some news media outlets did report this, okay, just for the record. But what I saw not being reported is that before these three groups of diets were presented to these non-celiac gluten sensitivity patients, high gluten, medium gluten with whey protein versus whey protein, is that all of these patients ate a low FODMAP diet to begin with. FODMAPs are basically short-chain uh, sugar molecules that bacteria in the gut really like to feed on, and patients with IBS lots of times will not do well with these FODMAP-rich foods, certain fruits. Wheat protein is one of them, and wheat in and of itself. So basically everybody was eating a gluten-free diet amongst many other things going into the study, and then they ate these one of these three different diets. I don't think the average person out there is going to understand why that's significant. That's really significant, thank you, because you're clearing out not only gluten from the diet, but a lot of other cross-sensitivities and a lot of other foods that may be triggering their IBS. We'll have people come out very sick or off gluten, and they'll be confused and go, well, how come I feel sick? You said if I was off gluten. Well, it's because they have a lot of, if you come in here and you're eating really well and you're off gluten, or you go anywhere and you're eating really well, that doctor should know that there are other problems. <laughs> you either got cross sensitivities to gluten, which it sounds like Dr. Gates will get into later. You might have uh, you might have leaky gut. You might have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You might have other food allergies and so on and so forth. So if somebody comes in here and and I'm doing the interview to qualify them as a patient, and they go and I'm looking at their diet and they eat better than the diet <laughs> we're going to give them. There's other issues, and it, it certainly they're kind of wondering what's going on. So when we test them on those times when we will test them for gluten, what will you do before you have them go test? If they've been off of gluten before they come in here. Well, I'm going to well, go eat gluten. Well, go, okay, go spend the weekend eating pizzas and submarines. So anything you can think of that has gluten in it, which is like, as most of my patients say, everything. <laughs> to get all of the gluten back in your system to create all of the antibodies that are attacking in your system. So the people who went into this study didn't, were clean. They yeah, they're completely so, so, and when I said it was a poorly designed study, that was separate from the fact 
that they did that. I mean, the whey protein thing could be another confounding. Well, we're not even done yet. And so so then what? Okay, so that's why it's important. That's why it's important to know that these people had all been cleaned out before they went on the study. Exactly. And I get the theory. The theory is now they're going to now we're going to eat it. It's going to be massively responsive. But if these guys are such brilliant scientists, sorry, then they should have known that. Mm -hmm. And this, I mean, this is in Forbes. It's in all the national newspapers. For those of you conspiracy theorists out there. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm not, but okay. <laughs> but, and then the other interesting thing is that when they did the study and you have the gluten-rich foods versus the gluten and whey versus the whey groups, what was reported in the study is that those who were eating the gluten and whey felt a lot worse. They did feel worse. Versus just the gluten groups. Statistically significant. And that wasn't reported either. Something that was conveniently left out, yeah, of, the, exactly. uh, out of the article. And it's something we see clinically all the time is that patients will frequently react to gluten and whey together. If you think of how gluten is ate or eaten in our society, pizza, cheese and gluten, sandwiches, cheese with your bread. It's, it's something that we have observed time and time again where patients react to those two things together. And there are reasons for that likely because we're now seeing the bacteria feed on those two foods in a certain way different from them in isolation. So that is the first part. Now the second part is that there was another article. So the first article was published in Gastroenterology. It was, um, wait, 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 I'm sorry. Let me see. Gastroenterology, August of 2013. Now there was another study that came out in elementary, let me see, elementary pharmacological therapies that was basically by the same guys group, Peter Gibson. And they repeated the study that we're talking about. That's a peer-reviewed reference, yeah. by the way. Exactly. And the it's attached to our clipboard. So for all of you research nuts out there, go ahead and read it. And uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Go ahead and read the articles. We don't get in, need to get into anything else. Uh, but in this study, basically, Peter Gibson's group came back and they repeated the original study. And what they did find is that in doing the same template of going on a low FODMAP diet and then these patients either eating a lot of gluten, gluten and whey, or whey only, is that the non-celiac gluten sensitivity patients did feel worse in terms of their depression when they ate gluten by itself in a very statistically significant fashion. And so you haven't seen that in Forbes magazine either. Well, the interesting part is that was the title of the study. The title of the study. Let me read to you. Randomized clinical trial. Gluten may cause depression in subjects with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. But that was conveniently not mentioned in the article and not mentioned in the subsequent reporting of the article in newspaper journals for reasons that I can only conjecture. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge, huge... Yeah, we have patients that come in here and they go, well, you know, doc, uh, you have me off of gluten for a year. I was feeling really great. Everything is phenomenal. You know, I mean, and, and I don't feel as good again. I'll say, well, why don't you start eating gluten again? Well, I said, well, why don't you start eating it? Well, I, I started eating it a couple of months ago, um, but my stomach feels good. Yeah, but your depression came back. Yeah, but your anxiety came back. Yeah, but your And this is because, what makes me want to scream. Because it affects the nervous system. We're now seeing technically more than it affects people's guts. In fact, I was reading an article on, out of the Czech Republic. And they were talking about how celiac disease is so underreported and underdiagnosed, as you were mentioning. And they were saying it is because, so commonly in adults, the symptoms of celiac disease in and of itself are largely neurological, and they're not gastrointestinal. So and we everybody out there thinks, oh, I eat gluten, my gut didn't hurt, I'm okay. Well, what 
people have been anecdotally reporting who are on the front of the curve, in our opinion, is that when they ate gluten, they just said, hey, I didn't feel as good. Right. I, I kind of had some brain fog. I felt right. lethargic. Exactly. My muscles ached. Short-term memory Exactly. Loss. And my feet burned, <laughs> things of that nature. And so that's why uh, we wanted to do this talk today about monocellular gluten sensitivity yeah. because there is a ton of data regarding its efficacy. I felt like I cut you off. No, no. Go right ahead. Non-celiac okay. gluten sensitivity. So we're talking about you people out there who are watching this maybe and go like, what, what's the deal here? Are you gluten? I feel... You know, I don't feel that good, but my doctor tells me I'm okay. I can eat it. My tests are normal. My, uh, you know, that now we have a study that says I can eat it because uh, uh, it doesn't matter. It's all in our heads anyway. This whole gluten thing's a bunch of crap. So maybe you want to talk. Let's talk about um, our non-celiac gluten sensitivity. You feel like you covered the aspect of the study? I think so. I mean, basically, just to summarize is that, the guy who discovers non-celiac gluten sensitivity comes out and says it doesn't exist because we did this study. After the study proves what he said out the study, which was that which was that it affects depression. Well, and that was published this month, but then Forbes only reported on his original study done last year, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so go. everybody thinks this is a new study. Well, the new study was not reported. How uh, basically gluten does cause depression in patients with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Okay. And then what was also not reported is that the study was flawed in our opinion because everybody's put on a low FODMAP diet, which basically eliminates wheat from the diet anyways, amongst many other things like cheese and lots of times other grains as well, which is a topic we need to go into. And so there are a lot of confounding variables and really the facts, in our opinion, were not accurately reported. Now, relative to cross-sensitivities, this is a whole other area of debate and something we've seen clinically. Cross-sensitivities means that you may be reacting to other grains like corn or rice or quinoa or millet or some of the other gluten-free grains. And five years ago, when people started talking about going gluten-free, there weren't a lot of gluten-free products out there, hardly at all. I mean, was, you really had to dig to find gluten-free bread or gluten-free pasta. You'd have to order it online, whereas now the stuff is everywhere. Costco is covering or is, you know, selling gluten-free products um, quite frequently week by week. Um, so anyways... Now patients who want to go gluten-free, they have all these options of eating gluten-free bread and gluten-free cereals, and these gluten-free products are really rich in rice and corn and quinoa and tapioca and, and millet. And we have seen clinically that patients don't do well eating those foods also. Almost very analogous to how they didn't do well eating gluten. Yeah, me too. <laughs> They're gluten-free foods. And gluten so... foods that have tons of cross-sensitivities to gluten. Exactly. There, there are two basic topics when Dr. Gates has started to call it that I see that we need to, to cover in the rest of this. One is the patient population out there who is off gluten but doesn't feel any better and is wondering if they should get back on it. Uh, and the patient population that is on, on, on gluten feels terrible but still eating it because their tests are normal. Okay, so we'll go into that. But you're in the no, first one. Yeah, let me, let me finish the up one. the grains. The first one that's off gluten and doesn't feel anything. And so what we're seeing with the grains is, exactly, is that the grains feed these bacteria in the intestines that can cause a lot of havoc. And we've talked about it in all of our other broadcasts. Go back and watch them relative to weight loss, relative to autoimmune disease, relative to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and IBS. Um, it's a very, very complex subject, really, when you get into it. And so that's where we're seeing these gluten-free products lots of times can be just as bad as gluten. And that's why Dr. Rutherford and I both agree that what is not good about the whole gluten-free thing is how marketers have used it to basically 
uh, make a lot of money on people's fears and not lack of understanding basically about gluten. And so, so that's one issue that has to be broached. <clears throat> Relative to this, they're on gluten. They're well, no, I'm just saying. So the person bad. comes in when I'm interviewing. Okay, they're so going like, "Look, I'm off that. gluten, and I and and I don't feel any better. I, I'm off gluten, all grains. I'm doing the paleo diet. I'm doing the fun. I don't feel any better." There, there, there's, there's, there's the cross sensitivities that you just got done talking about because so many of them go to gluten-free products. There's the cross sensitivity of other grains. What's the first thing that most of you do when you stop eating grain? You start eating quinoa. Um, I was sensitive to quinoa. I was allergic to it. I actually got tested for it. I was allergic to quinoa. So there's cross sensitivities to other grains. People who have gluten, those of you who have gluten, it's amazing to me how many people come in here and I, I kind of press their, I do, we do an exam. We do like a very thorough exam. And I, pre, and I go through their colon and I press all the different parts. They're like, wow, I'm really sensitive. Yeah, they're tender and inflamed in there. If you've been tender and inflamed in there for a while, I will tell you, you have leaky gut syndrome. Okay? You will have intestinal permeability, which is now being referred to as leaky gut syndrome, meaning that the other good foods that you're eating, I mean, it could be oranges. We This year, we've had people allergic to broccoli and spinach come in the door. Okay? Because they have leaky gut developed from the inflammation, developed from the gluten, and now they are having undigested foods particles that should be going into the toilet bowl, going through their gut, into their bloodstream, and now their bodies are creating antibodies to it, meaning their immune system is seeing this thing as a foreign object and attacking it. And that is how you get a food allergy to any type. So now you've stopped eating all of these foods, now you're starting all the good foods. You start developing food allergies to the good foods, and you go, "But I'm off gluten. How can I, you know, how can I possibly be still feeling so bad when I'm off gluten? I'm eating all these good. Well, the good foods are causing you a problem because you're starting to develop new food allergies. So, and 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 on and on. Okay, but these are the things relative to the person who has um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, but it's confusing because you've been diagnosed as normal. You don't have celiac disease. You are already, you have already determined, I've read everything on it. I'm going to go off gluten. You don't feel any better. That does not mean you don't have non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Right. And another thing that we're seeing is that the gluten molecule itself actually can cause the leaky gut syndrome. Oh, so absolutely. leaky gut syndrome, is, it's a new phenomenon. If you talk to your doctor about it, they'll roll their eyes and say, what do you know about leaky gut syndrome? Well, we've done broadcasts on it with attached, you know, scores of references regarding the efficacy of leaky gut in treating autoimmune disease to pre-diabetes to diabetes to weight loss patients. And what we're seeing, as Dr. Rutherford said, is that if your intestines, which should be tightly bound together, start to break apart, now if you eat that broccoli and the broccoli protein goes into your bloodstream where it shouldn't be, then, then your immune system can start to attack that as being a foreign object. And all of a sudden, you either have a food allergy now or you have a food intolerance or something of that nature. And so... What's really interesting, though, is that we're seeing that gluten can set off that reaction. Absolutely. And on Friday night, I think I posted that article onto our Facebook uh, Power Health page, so to speak. And we've been doing these reports on our Facebook page as well regarding the relationship between leaky gut syndrome and several different autoimmune diseases as well, from rheumatoid arthritis to type 1 diabetes. We're going to be talking about MS pretty soon and how the bacteria and really the gluten interplay and resulting in the leaky gut, resulting in bacteria or viruses from the gut going into our bloodstream resulting in the autoimmune disease. All right. Yeah. Okay. It's a little complex, but 
when somebody comes in and says, I'm off gluten, I'm off all grains, but I still have bowel problems, I still have brain fog, I still have pain, numbness, and tingling, all this type of stuff, all these neurological symptoms and gut symptoms that could be contributed to it. This is kind of like the chain that goes off in our heads. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, it could be this, 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 it could be this. Oh, and by the way, there could be some insulin resistance <laughs> involved in setting this on. That's another whole topic. But the bottom line is that um, you need to, you need to, to, if you have chronic problems, I, I don't care what they are. I, I, I remember two things that I was told by my mentor, Dr. Datis Karazian, who wrote a book called Why Do I Still Have Thyroid Symptoms When My Blood Tests Are Normal? And then he came up with a second one last year, Why Isn't My Brain Working? And uh, there were two things that he told me to look for in every single chronic pain patient. He said, I don't care if it's chronic neck pain or chronic right toe pain. I don't care if it's chronic gut pain. I don't care. Whatever it is, neurologic pain, he said, look for a bad and probable autoimmune attack on the thyroid and, um, and get them off gluten. That was years ago. And I, I must tell you, those two clinical pearls have proven to be consistently successful in diagnosing and helping our patients in this complexity of, of, um, of chronic pain. So just know if you have any type of chronic pain, you need to be attentive to the gluten. Now let's go to the next thing uh, and then we can get in. But, but that would lead me to the next thing. Well, you know, I, I gluten, all my favorite foods are gluten. All my favorite foods are gluten. And yes, I feel terrible, but why should I get off them? All my tests are normal. The gold standard test of biopsy is normal. The blood test is normal. Uh, and on and on. Right. Would you like uh, my colonoscopy is normal? Um, well, and this you want is to get into that. Well, obviously, the testing is not as accurate as we want it to be. That's it's it's obvious to us. It's not it's obvious to all these people who come into me and are beating me up, going, "Yeah, but my testing is normal." So, in our first hangout on gluten. We presented what is termed a Cyrex Array 3. Cyrex is a lab testing corporation out of Arizona. And they do, in our opinion, the best and most comprehensive, most specific and sensitive assays on gluten sensitivity on the face of the earth. What is sensitivity? Sensitivity and specificity basically refers to how many false positives and false negatives you Do you know how high there is this? I really don't. I think it's. In I the can't 90s. remember. I think it was in the 90s. It's in the I, 90s. I can't be Which means they're right 95, 90, 95, 96, 97% of the time. It's very high. The other, the, the other tests don't even come remotely close to that. Right. The it, blood test, I think, is less than 50% accurate. It depends on the lab. Okay. But um, so, anyways, they're highly, highly accurate. Let's just say it that way. And they run 20 markers regarding gluten. And so we frequently see in doing this lab panel that patients do have a problem with gluten when their two to four tests run by their gastroenterologist, and this is no knock on gastroenterologist. But those tests will not show any problem, whereas once we do the, the more in-depth assay, so to speak, then we see the issue. Now, there are articles coming out about this because the whole non-celiac gluten sensitivity thing is, is shaking everybody up from gastroenterologists to nutritionists to functional medicine practitioners yeah. to huge. people in that the community. Because lots of times there's not a definitive lab market. It's not like we can say, okay, patients with non-celiac gluten sensitivity have this type of gluten antibody, and therefore we can test them for that, and therefore we can quantify them and put them in this little box. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity to date has been basically diagnosed by you eat gluten, you go off of gluten, how do you feel? You introduce gluten back in. Probably and still what the best happens. way. It still is the best way. It's the most accurate. Depending on if they test. understand symptoms, if they right. understand that when they eat gluten, 
it isn't just does my stomach feel better, but it's does my brain fog come right, back? Exactly. Does my migraine come back? Do I get you know short-term exactly. memory loss? And do my feet start to burn? All that kind of stuff. Exactly. So, so yeah, I agree completely. And basically, um, yeah, I think that's what I need to say there. I think I lost my train of thought on that. But, but yeah. Um, um, okay, so we're talking. What we're, what we're talking about was the people who come in and tell me. You said you were referring to the fact that obviously. Oh, there's no lab marker. Okay, so right. then, so then that's how non-celiac is diagnosed. Now there are research articles now talking about how if we use these new types of deaminated gliadin peptide antibody assays that they are picking up non-celiac gluten sensitivity patients. This was a brand new article. It's attached to our it's a blood reference test. list. <laughs> that's a, that's exactly. a very simple blood test. And so, and I believe that those assays are analogous to what Cyrex labs are using yeah, well, to diagnose non-celiac. Thanks, we're now using them. Yes. And they seem to be producing some consistent results. Very, very accurate. So, so that is the skinny on why if you're eating gluten and you went to your doctor and you were tested for gluten antibodies and you came back as being negative, why you're probably negative. Just know the testing really is not that accurate that's out there on the market today. Also know the testing that's being performed is really done for celiac disease. And celiac disease tests have a completely different profile than what we're seeing for non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Also, okay, and I won't, there's a million no, different no. directions I can go, but basically that's the skinny on that. So if you eat uh, gluten uh, products and you get bloated and you have bowel changes and you have gas and you have diarrhea, and, or you get you eat them and you just don't feel good, or for your fibromyalgia patients it makes you more sensitive, or your peripheral patients it makes your feet burn, or for those of you that uh, get brain fog or short-term memory loss, just know that that's the best test. And and if your doctor tests you and says it's normal, you can still keep eating it. Just know that the test of you eating that and feeling better and you not eating that and feeling better is still probably overall best. The best test, and um, and and we can go from you know we can go from there. So testing gluten-free, uh, yeah, non-celiac, non-celiac um, gluten sensitivity. And then we also have some articles attached here regarding fibromyalgia. Many of you may have fibromyalgia. That's where patients will have chronic pain throughout their body. They will have burning skin pain. They'll be sensitive to touch things of that nature frequently fatigued. And what has interested people is that fibromyalgia patients have many of the characteristics of non-celiac gluten sensitivity patients. And in our reference list, one of the rheumatology journals came out and said, we need to be very careful. We shouldn't take fibromyalgia patients off of gluten unless they've really been screened through a thorough laboratory workup and we make sure they don't have celiac disease. And then at the top of our reference list, um, let me see here. Sorry for the pause. So if they don't have celiac disease, so if they get screened and they don't have celiac disease, they're going to tell you to keep eating gluten if you're a fibromyalgia patient. And on our second Big reference mistake. in the list, it's uh, by the Rheumatology International Journal. They basically came out and said they took 20 patients with fibromyalgia. They tested them for gluten antibodies. They were all positive. They took them off of gluten, and they all felt better. <laughs> and their fibromyalgia symptoms largely improved. And that's something we've seen clinically for five years now. And we talked right. about it in the fibromyalgia hangout or broadcast as well as the thyroid hangout and broadcast. So it is a fibromyalgia is is a again as Dr. Gates said, we got stuff online about it. But the bottom line is is gut problems are usually a big part of the picture. It's usually stress over overreactive stress mechanism, inability to, to kind of to kind of filter that pain out anymore by your brain. 
you get that super sensitivity. Most of you are going to have a uh, undiagnosed or misdiagnosed or mismanaged thyroid problem. Usually it's going to be an autoimmune issue called Hashimoto's. Uh, and you're going to have gut problems. And, and they go together. And they go together. What's the percentage of people have, who have celiac, who have Hashimoto's, and what's the percentage of people? It's 47%. Yeah, and then, and then the people, percentage I've of people. Heard, I've seen as high as 47%. I've seen as high as. Antibodies. Yeah, I've, I've seen as high. Well, I've, I've heard it as high as 70% from Dr. Cross. Okay. Um, that if you have uh, um, celiac, I, it's both ways around. If you have Hashimoto's, there's a certain percent chance you're going to have celiac. Because for some reason, the antibodies that attack one tend to kind of morph over and attack the other one. So that's fibromyalgia. And if you have celiac, you're off gluten. But then we have this non-gluten sensitivity and non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which means, which means just, man, if you got any type of an autoimmune problem, and we're not talking based on opinion here, okay? And, we're, and Dr. Gates is, is very diligent in bringing out these, these studies. But we only talk to you relative to what we see that works in our practice. I mean, I, I, we've been around for quite some time, and our, and our motto or logo, or whatever you want to call it, our punchline, our key line, our USP, blah, 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 is the results speak for themselves, and we mean it. We're talking about what we, if, if, if getting off gluten didn't produce any results, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. You know, if it wasn't that important, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. We're trying to, we're just trying to delineate some of the confusions that are going on out there. There's a lot of political stuff going on there. I mean, there's a lot of people who are losing a lot of money with people getting off of gluten. And that's all I need to say about that. But just know that that's the real world and that's what you're up against. There are a lot of people out there who don't care if you stay, don't care if you stay sick for the rest of your life as long as you're buying their products. And that's just the reality of life on planet Earth right now. So we have to wade through all of that to get our paid. In fact, we don't even test for gluten that much, really. We, we, we utilize the, the patient gets off of it and they feel better <laughs> test. That's pretty inexpensive test. These other tests we're talking about are, are pretty expensive. If a person's a rockhead, they're done, they're feeling great, but they're not convinced they need to stay off of gluten, we run the test. <laughs> and that test is like, what, 550 bucks or uh, something? No, like that, that one's 350. 350, okay. That's ah, still pretty expensive. But, uh, but, but in the end, um, that's why we're doing this, and that's where we draw our, our, our opinions from, is from patient response to care. So any of you that have any type of an autoimmune problem out there, just get off the gluten. And if you don't feel better, don't get back on it. Just start researching. So when my patients come in and say, I did my research. Anytime, for those of you who come and say, I did my research, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> I know... I know that I'm going to get a, a very solid opinion that may not be correct, or that patient wouldn't be sitting in front. But having said that, well, do your research. More, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go. Let's talk more about autoimmune disease, because this is what we've been posting to Facebook lately. Okay. And one of the things that we post is that they're now seeing that upwards of one out of six Americans have an autoimmune disease. I totally believe And it. this was underrepresented by the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health. It's our overseeing government agency for basically the scientific world. And they only reported of like 24 autoimmune conditions, but there really are far more than that. And so when you take into account all the different autoimmune conditions, we're now seeing one out of six Americans has an autoimmune disease, which is just staggering. And it's a growing epidemic. And a lot of researchers will say, we just don't know why it's happening. 
Well, that's fine. You can say, we don't know why it's happening. But if you really get into the skinny of the issue and say, okay, 70 80% of the immune system is in the gastrointestinal tract, we see that gluten definitively is a zonulin toxin, meaning it poisons the gut such that the leaky gut syndrome starts to happen where the gastrointestinal tract cells start to split apart. So now big proteins start leaking in, <clears throat> which could be gluten itself. We're now seeing that there's this whole field of termed gluten-related disorders which will cause skin problems like dermatitis or pediformis, neurologic issues like lack of balance, neurologic issues like uh, peripheral neuropathy, um, psychiatric issues like schizophrenia. A certain percentage of schizophrenic patients have antibodies to gluten as well as bipolar patients. On and on and on and on it goes. And, yeah. and then there's this whole field of termed uh, immune-mediated complex disease where they're now seeing that the gluten can come in, the immune system can attack the gluten, and even though the gluten itself may not be the problem, this immune blob floating throughout your bloodstream that can then go into your brain cells and not allow your brain cells to work as well can also be part of the issue. It's just is, it goes on. It's going to explode. Again, the reason we say that is when I went into this, when I went to this field, um, I went into it for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that attracted me to it was the time I was suffering from what I felt was a mild to moderate case of fibromyalgia, and I saw a. Uh, uh, a credit card-sized uh, advertisement in a in a professional journal that said fibromyalgia, and uh, yeah, and I called this gentleman, and this gentleman worked with was a board-certified chiropractic neurologist, and he sent us a program that we worked with just just working with the brain and calming down the brain. For those of you who have fibromyalgia, a big part of your problem is you are stressed out of your minds 24/7. And it's, and it's gotten beyond the point where you can control it. And, and, and so, but then he ultimately directed me to the gentleman that you talked about, that I talked about, Ford Stock and Karazian. And he was the first one that started talking about autoimmune problems. He would talk about gluten for anybody ever. I'd ever heard of gluten, okay? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the bottom line is, is that he, he was talking about that a long time ago. It's been around a while. When I was started to see the improvement in my patients, um, consistently, I thought, wow, this is what I want to do for a living. And I had no clue, zero, no clue at all that I was going to have to become conversant in gut problems, I, that I was going to have to become conversant in thyroid problems, that I was going to have to become conversant in hormonal issues. But the biggest thing is I, I, I had no clue our, our practice would develop into, man, it's almost virtually 100% autoimmune practice right now. So this immune issue, the autoimmune issue, and the celiac and the non-celiac gluten sensitivity all really, all really go together. I know it might, I hope we haven't thrown out too much. I hope we haven't like confused you on this matter. And if we have confused you on this matter, it's because it's a complex matter. And if we just get that to you, then relative to these chronic problems, then that's good. But we go back to the beginning of this. And the bottom line is, is is there is such a thing as non-celiac gluten sensitivity. We see it every day. It is hugely important for you to understand that if you are eating eating gluten and it is creating symptoms in you, no matter what the tests say, you need to get off of it and you need to stay off of it. The tests are convoluted. I am certain that what we are telling you is going to be proven, not only as it's being proven in the literature, but in future testing. The testing, I think, is an evolution I think they will be better, like the test that you just got talking about, about the DNA gluten molecules. Um, that is a better test. 
it's it's pretty cost effective. It's not real expensive. So I think we're going to see this thing calm down as time goes on. I don't think the gluten-free market is going to go away. That'll 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 continue to be confusing to people. But um, but I think we have hit the the, the big points of, of we of what we want. If you're if you're enjoying this, then then you know please don't miss next week. Next week is kind of a big, big deal in most people's uh, uh, journey to wellness. So, okay, that's it for this week. Thank you for watching again, and uh, take care. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.